Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. Howdy and welcome back to the Ben Thinking Podcast. After quite a bit of technical if difficulties, today we have Todd Springer on and Todd is a fellow podcaster who runs the show called Concealed Carry Texas. Is that correct? Yes. And I'm also uh, a local firearms instructor in the College Station area and my firearms training business is Citizen Defense. Um, and I focus on pretty much everything handguns and concealed carry defensive shooting techniques. Nice, man. How long have you been in the industry? Uh, so I started the podcast about, uh, about a year and a half ago and I just started, uh, my firearms training, uh, company this year. So on the training side, not too long, the podcasting kind of led into this. Um, there, there were some deficiencies like gateway type stuff in the training that I wanted to try to overcome. And then other conversations, uh, in the gun community that, some of it I felt like other folks weren't having that needed to be had. And that's kind of where I decided to step in on that. Okay. Um, what is gate? You said gateway stuff. What is it? What is gateway stuff? So, so gateway stuff, more of the gateway into training, right? So the best way I can put it, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, instructor out of here that is out of Texas that is very renowned, not far from us in college station, um, Carl Wren. And he put out an article of, uh, the 1%. So less than 1% of people that obtain their license to carry seek additional training outside the state required minimum. So the biggest thing is to, for me, is to try to push people to try to, okay, you have your state license, which in Texas, you don't need it, but still push people towards more formal training. Because in Texas, um, it is well known that a lot of, you know, Texas being Texas, a lot of people are, you know, I grew up shooting with Paul Paul on the back 40 and things of that matter. I know everything I need to know about guns and there is nothing else. And I say that because I was in that category for a long time. Um, there is a lot more to learn, especially when it comes to the de defensive shooting side of things and the defensive mindset. Um, so that's where I go with that. I want to offer classes that are open to everybody get people started in the wide direction, whether you have never touched a gun or you're thinking about buying your first one, or you've been carrying for a while and you need to figure out some deficiencies. I'm open to all of it. And I want to help people overcome that because like I said, we all started somewhere, right? So I wanted to help people, you know, get started in that direction too, and be more proficient with what they choose to defend their lives with. What got you into this space? Like, wh why did you choose this thing? So I grew up, um, I grew up around firearms. Um, I hunted, fished, 
things like that. Um, did a lot of duck hunting. I grew up doing a lot of trap shooting, archery and rifle shooting. Right. Um, that was really archery shooting was my passion for a lot long time uh coach some friends with that and i kind of really when like when i would coach friends with that seeing the light bulb click on like oh hey this makes sense now i understand was kind of like gave me a little bit of an adrenaline dump right like i really enjoyed seeing people figure things out and so at first that didn't necessarily translate straight over to the defensive space I had an incident uh, back in my early 20s when I was in my running around days and I was on another podcast and I talked about it with them, uh, but I had some guys attempt to carjack me and I was a licensed carrier at the time, but it was, I was in the mindset of optimism biased, right? In the gun community, we always talk about this or refer it to, it will never happen to me mindset. And uh, essentially, I had three guys attempt to carjack me, and luckily, I was able to get out of the situation. And after that, it got me thinking. I was by myself in my vehicle. I was not armed. What would have happened if they actually got to me? What would have happened if they opened the door? What would have happened because they made sure that they either let me they let me know that either they had a gun or they wanted me to believe that they had a gun, right? So there was some sense of that there was, you know, deadly intention there. Um, and so after that, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit of the possibility, you know, getting out of the mindset of, okay, it'll never happen to me because this just happened to me, right? It can happen to me. It can happen to anybody. Um, and so I started carrying more often. I was never a big handgun shooter finally decided to bite the bullet and start taking formal training and it opened up my like my perception of pistol shooting and it really just the really minute things that make such a difference and starting to progress in training of my own and helping some friends coaching some friends things of that matter friends family and i was like hey i I'm pretty sure I have a knack to do this and I want to help other people, you know, not necessarily just learn to shoot, but have the mindset and the situational awareness to not end up a possible situation that I was in. That's pretty cool, man. I, I like that you were able to use the negative situation to, to, to look for more knowledge, right? Um, Maybe an unfortunate situation to be in, but one that you obviously took something very valuable from. And obviously, you know, now you're in your position, not only just talking about how to use and how to progress the community of the knowledge behind the gun use of use of guns. And honestly, I don't really know much about it. I just know, I mean, in Texas, it's everywhere, right? It's like everyone always has a some sort of firearm in and around their home. Uh, they have friends. Everybody's always going out and shooting. Um, it seems that it's, uh, it's almost, it's a pastime, man. It's, it is a, a very strong culture, uh, and having the ability to having the opportunity to, to, to speak on it and to, to educate others on it is, is huge. Um, what are some common things that you, see whenever you have someone first come into a class 
Um, it, it very much depends on the individual. Um, there is a, you know, people can easily get into the idea of what they think. The biggest thing is equipment, right? We're all uh, definitely in the gun community. We're all equipment snobs, right? A lot of us can really geek out on that. And I'm guilty of that as well. But some people, the best way I can say it is people don't know what they don't know. Right. So somebody might see a holster for whatever they're carrying and they pick that one, but it's not a safe holster. Right. Either it folds in on itself or it's something that's on the outside of the waistband that has some sort of retention mechanism that doesn't release in a safe manner. Or they don't know exactly the most optimum way to carry it on their waistline. So those little things like that, those little knickknack details can make a world of difference in their safety as well as their performance. Uh, I had an older gentleman in one of my classes and, you know, the, the guy could shoot, no doubt about it, the guy could shoot. But he was struggling with some of his his time on his draw to first shot. And the biggest issue was, is that his holster was riding a little further down, so he couldn't get a good, um, I have an inert one here, so hopefully, I don't know if you put your stuff on YouTube, they don't freak out, but um, he couldn't get a good grip on the underside here. He could only grab it kind of like a taco style. So he couldn't get a full grip to get it out and present it and fire. And so we kind of did some adjustments on his holter, holster, and he went from draw to first shot. His first time trying it, he went from two and a half seconds to two seconds flat. And so just that that little bit of adjustment made that big of an uh, increase in his performance. So that's equipment is one thing, and then it's just – the fundamentals because everybody that's learned from somebody that <laughs> I hate to say it like this, but they've learned from somebody that supposedly knows everything. And there's so many little details that go into it on shooting very efficiently um, that a lot of folks don't realize and they don't realize it until you point it out to them. And then, like I said, once you point it out to them, the lights come on. It's like, Oh, okay. Now I understand this works and they can experience for themselves. Okay. This does make sense. This does work. I'm glad I took this. I think the word performance associated with this community is a, is an interesting one, right? I mean, you have competitive shooting and then you have, you have this, fear that people have around around gun control and using the word performance is like wait like i thought i thought this was just for safety right um and to me it's it's like it's a it's an interesting word to use um but at the same time the an appropriate word to use ultimately it is increasing the 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 efficiency of the shooter right and does half a second really matter that much? Maybe, maybe not, right? Depends on, on what you're going for. Yeah, so we can get into that um, a little bit. There are There is one YouTube channel uh, for any of your listeners that if they're looking for stuff to hold to dive into, it's called Active Self-Protection. Uh, John Carrera, he's a firearms instructor, but his YouTube channel is they take generally raw footage from like all over the world of crime and self-defense encounters and they have analyzed it 
and they have come up with a good, a very good, solid data-driven point that you need to have, if you're carrying a firearm, you need to have a two-second or better draw to first shot. Um, Because the one thing that they've proven is that generally whoever the first person is that gets shots on target wins. Um, the second is the time that's allowed for you to get into the fight. So say somebody comes up and robs you and as most guilty people do, what do they do? They look around, seeing what's going on, making sure nobody else is encroaching on them. John Carrera and them, it's active self-protection have shown that if you have a two second draw, if they turn and show you the back of their head, you have time that you can get into that fight that you have, they they can't look over, see process what's going on and look back in less than two seconds. If they show you their ear second and a half. So depending on where your performance level is and what you can do, if you're in that situation, yeah, it might be up close and personal, but there's a chance that you might be able to get into that fight because you you could give them your stuff, right? And and I advocate for that. Like if somebody wants my wallet, generally I'm gonna we're we're mostly a cashless society, right? And give them my wallet, go ahead, take it. I'll cancel my cards when I get home. But if we don't know that that's going to be an outcome, if we have that gut feeling that things are going to take a turn for the worse, we need to know at what performance level we are capable of, and at what point that we can get into that fight if we absolutely had to. So that's where the time standard comes from of where a half a second counts. It, it, it can count. In life or death, it absolutely can count because stuff doesn't happen in minutes in those situations. It happens in seconds. So making the decision to, to, to pull the trigger when, you, when that draw to first shot, I mean, it's a, it's a hell of a fast judgment. And you don't necessarily entirely like – you you don't know if it was the right decision or not. I, I, I've never been in that situation, but I would assume that it really is just trusting this gut feeling of holy shit, I'm I'm really in danger here, um, and then not allowing it to escalate past that, but or have the ultimate escalation, I guess. Um, it just it seems two seconds is. People take longer to think about what they want to eat for dinner, you know, like I mean, it, it seems crazy. It, it is. It really is. You know, on the on the outside of the training side, really. And, and for me. To give you an example of because shooting is very much a feel and vision type thing. Uh, on top of the technique and everything else that goes into shooting, right? Once you get that down, the fundamentals, you're working at an, you know, a uh, muscle memory or auto automaticity level or something like that. Um, everything just kind of plays out and then it's just vision and feel. Two seconds for me is really take at a distance of, I, at, out to 15 yards, I have to speed it up. Seven yards and in, I'm, I'm taking my time. I'm verifying my sights and I'm calling my shots. And essentially what it is when you start training more and you start inoculating yourself to that speed and that time. Support for Ben thinking is brought to you by 
Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code THINKING at manscaped.com. If my math is correct, that's about 16 million balls. I got my lawnmower and weed whacker recently and I immediately put the weed whacker inside of my nostrils. No nicks, no snags, and I have never been able to smell things as good as after I used the crop, the weed whacker. The crop preserver makes my balls smell nice every single day that I'm in the gym, and of course, we love that. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THINKING at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code THINKING. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. It, it, it kind of becomes normal. You know, it's not like blazing super fast. I'm trying crazy frantically trying to get everything out and make this shot. You have more time than you actually think you do. And until you kind of start training and get into that, you don't really realize it. Cause like you said, two seconds is, that's not a whole lot of time. But we process, what was it? I think we process information at like a quarter of a second. So we should absolutely be able to have time to make the decision. Okay, this gentleman's coming up on me. Okay, this is what's happening. Essentially kind of like a walkthrough, I guess you could say, if you're aware, unless it's like an ambush type situation, completely caught off guard. Um, We can process information very fast. But we also have to act on that information and make the best decision possible. And ultimately, um, you know, if we're if it's a life or death situation, it, it's I mean, on the legal side of things, would are you acting in a way that any normal individual, you know, prudent person would do? You know, um, I mean, it could easily be a slippery slope. There are a lot of things you could do, but for somebody that shoots regularly, um, I mean, two seconds is a lot of time. Uh, for somebody that does not train, yeah, that might be a that might be very fast for them to process. I think two seconds. I understand that we definitely we consume or we can we can process information very quickly, a lot of information very quickly. It is making the judgment that follows that processing that you okay. Now you get all this data in 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 a second. And then to another second to pull out of a holster and then to pull a trigger is you really got to, you really got to know, right? Or you really have to have a really, really good guess that this is the the right move. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't, you definitely wouldn't do it on the homeless man that makes you uncomfortable coming up asking for money, right? Um, there are other ways. There are definitely other ways for the the best thing I would say is there's an in-between. And John Correa from Active Self Protection always says, too, if you don't carry anything between a harsh gun or anything between a harsh word and a gun, you're a fool. So that's where things like uh, 
OC spray come in, right? That's technically a long range eye poke, right? It's not going to hurt anybody. The legal ramifications for OC spray are actually less than hitting somebody. So it's a lot more, you know, uh, acceptable on the legal side of things. Um, It can generally, it could turn something that could turn fatal. You know, it could push it out of the way. Essentially, you know, you take away their sight, um, things like that. I mean, because God, we see it all the time. How many times do simple road rage situations turn into a deadly situation or a fight over a parking spot or something like that? Something like OC spray could really nip that in the bud very quickly. So those are other considerations to prevent it from uh, going to that level. But me personally, I if I even if I'm not carrying a firearm, I carry OC, and I would go to that before I go to the gun, unless it is absolutely certain that hey, this guy has either he has intent of harm of me or my family. Um, and at that point, that's kind of where you have to determine your go signals, right? What's going to be the absolute, this is it. He draws a knife on me, draws a gun on me. He's trying to put me in a car. He's trying to take my fam, my car with my family in it, you know, things of that. And it comes down to the individual and their lifestyle and the way that they live to, to, there really is no one size fits all with that, right? I think people want a one size that fits all, right? Of of a guarantee every single time this is exactly when I know I'm going to use this tool. I didn't realize that how how often do people use or carry OC spray on top of a firearm? Like how common is that? I wish more than it was, honestly. Um I would I would be willing to bet for people that, you know, People that are self-defense minded or want to have something, but they're not comfortable with guns, definitely carry OC spray. I'd be willing to bet that there are a majority of gun people that absolutely don't carry OC spray because they have the mindset of, well, I have a gun. Why do I need to carry OC spray? It's the harsh truth of a lot of people uh, that, you know, embrace this lifestyle. And it's, you know, it is what it is. And I want to, and that's one thing that I discuss in my classes and definitely on my podcast is, you know, carry OC spray, man. There's one that uh, I use. It's, it's called peace of mind palm. Uh, They're very kind of more, they don't look like OC or something like tactile or anything like that. They're pretty discreet and they're like 12 bucks. They're cheap. I I lose one mowing in the, around the house, and I just go buy another one. Uh, there's another gentleman that I've talked to before, and he has like he keep he uh, he dresses very nice, and so like in all his dress jackets, he has like one for all his different dress jackets because they're so cheap, so he never has to worry about it. He always has it on him. So there are ways to mitigate it, right? It just depends on if you're willing to accept what people are talking about and not just take what you know for the knowledge of all, if that makes any sense. It it seemed like, I feel like a lot of the conversation ends up being just like around when do you, like when do we use this tool? Right. And it seems to me, and I don't listen to much of the like CNN, Fox. I don't really watch any news <laughs> at all. Um, 
so very limited, I guess, um, outlook on, on, on this space and, or like set of information from other people. Um, just from what I see on social media, it seems that people are upset or get frustrated or easily tuned out from the idea of, uh, of keeping guns around because there doesn't seem to be a conversation about the alternatives or like the progression to that and how else can we mitigate and, um, a, a, an opportunity for an attack, right? Like OC spray where like, let, let's have a conversation about that as well. And not just, it, it has to be gun. I think, I think having gun, like having our second amendment, right. Is important. Um, it is, not just for danger and people around us and personal protection from um, other civilians, but it is a, a huge thing for government tyranny, right? And and so I think it's an important thing to to use, but having a more long form conversation and understanding of what personal protection is, means, and looks like would be very very helpful. And so this is this is good. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the big thing, you know, why, why is it useful? And as, as the classic term is the gun is the great equalizer, right? So there is, and backing up a little bit, you know, everybody wanting the one shot answer. There are a lot of people here in Texas when they go get their LTC and, or when they're searching for information of when is it, the, the one question you always get is, when can I shoot somebody? Right? That, that's what you hear. When can I shoot somebody? And that's not the right way to ask that. And, and I don't know if they're just not really thinking, they're not hearing what's coming out of their mouth. But it's not a simple answer, and it's not one answer. And I've tried to get that across to several people. Um you know, and they even folks ask, you know, well, can you shoot somebody in the back? Well, you know, that I'm not going to say that you can't, but that depends on the situation. Like, is the guy bladed away from you, like pointing something at you? You know, well, that's kind of a different thing now. Or did they did they pull a gun on you and you or a knife on you and you drew down and they turned and ran away? Can you shoot them then? No. No, it doesn't work like that because they're no longer a threat. So there are boundaries to a lot of this stuff. And there is a, I would say there is a fine line to walk. Um, but for a lot of people and uh, Brian Hill of the Complete Combatant, he made a good point. He said, the law has always told us what we can do, not what we can't do. And if you really start looking into stuff, it is that way. So it's, you know, and, and if it's state by state, so whatever if you know whatever your state laws are, you need to go and read up and understand what those are. It. I wish I had more background using firearms. I mean, I, I'm just being more comfortable around them. Um, I mean, I, I've gone and shot a deer before, and maybe some rabbits and some, you know, like out on the ranch. Um, I've gone to a couple gun, um, gun ranges, but it, I think it's, uh, it would be a valuable experience for all people to just, you know, go and see what it is to be behind this thing and have it with an educated individual who's there to help you understand how this, this tool works. 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's, and it's not, not all people are gun people, right? So, and when we were, when you brought up, um, you know, everybody has the right to this or what does it mean to have this for self-defense? There's one issue that came up uh, during the hype of COVID in the summer of love. Gun sales went through the roof whenever all the rioting and everything happened, right? So all this crazy stuff was happening and essentially you have all these people that did not have a means to protect themselves and see their environment around them um, going to shit and deciding like, hey, I need this thing. If thing goes to hell in a handbasket, I better go get this thing. And then they go and get it. And then they don't, you know, they never even go and shoot it for the first time. They just have the idea of that everything's okay because I have this thing. And then everything settles down. They put it in their nightstand or their safe or wherever they keep it. And they never go and touch it again. And it's like, okay, well, if anything ever happens, I have this thing. But that's not really the way it works with a firearm. It's kind of, it's, I kind of like to associate to use it or lose it type of thing. Or I, I guess better off, I associate shooting with golf because I'm a terrible golfer. And, um, if you want to be good at golf, you got to go play. You got to be consistent. You know, your swing and everything has to be on par. It's the same with shooting. If you don't practice, you're going to lose it. And majority of practice, you know, some people don't take on shooting because it's expensive. It, training with a handgun is cheap. It's very cheap because 95% of everything you need to train with a handgun can be done with dry, dry practice in your living room. The only thing you're practicing with live fire is understanding recoil management. That's it. Everything from grip, side alignment, presentation, all the way out to malfunctions, reloads, all that stuff can be done in your living room. And then you're just verifying it at the range. So it is a lot more accessible than a lot of people think they are. But like I said, not everybody's gun people, just like not everybody's fitness people, just like not everybody's car people. Right. We all own cars, but we're not all into them to an extent that others are. So it's kind of on that level to understand that, hey, this is something that can drastically change your life and others. So if you own one, it's your responsibility to be proficient and efficient with it. It almost sounds like a like a little bit of a hobby, you know, like fitness is a hobby, golf is a hobby. You can you can dive into this as a as a hobby and every hobby has a varying level of skill set and so you can you can pick up a a weapon and understand the implications that you that 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 comes with but you have a responsibility to understand how to use your tool and use it well right like yeah just like if you really want to be good at golf you can't just go buy the best clubs and say, I'm pretty good now. Like you got to fucking work that thing. You know, yeah. you, you got to hire somebody, you hire a coach, you, you go and practice um, pretty often. And it, and it could just be the swing in the house. It could be um, the things you were saying, presentation and all the, and all those other items um, in your living room, but it needs to be a skill that is, that is massaged. It's not just, 
now you have this thing. Now it's it's that simple. You just go ahead and pull this trigger here, and it, you're you're good. Um, you got to learn how to clean it. You got to learn how to take care of it, respect it for the crap that it is. Um, it, it just takes time. Yeah, it does, and it, it's definitely a it's definitely a journey, right? Um, everybody starts starts from scratch, right? We all start from scratch. And my, the biggest goal that I have with any of my classes is to not necessarily just show you how to do the thing. I want to show you how to practice. So you can go home, you can practice this, you can start, start seeing some sort of increase in your ability from this practice. And then also maybe be able to start self-diagnosing any issues that you have in the future because things change, right? Um, I have things in my shooting ability that change and I have to go back to assess it and correct it, or I'm trying something different, trying to push in a different direction of skill development. And so I got to change some things and identify what's going on that's going to push me over that, that line. Right. And once you can kind of figure that out, like, I mean, other than if you're taking classes for a legal side or more of a um, force on force or pressure testing your stuff, shooting's shooting. Um, once you get the fundamentals down and get them down to a subconscious level, it's just layering the fundamentals, applying them in different situations. And that's really all it is. Once you once you get it down, it's it's butter. After that, you just keep pushing. But if you stop, so it, I think <laughs> if you stop for one, but at the same time, um, it. Oh man, I forgot what I was going to say. Something about not only if you stop, but if if you have like. Yes, I understand that you get these fundamentals down, but having continuing education is important. Like, once your fundamentals sure are good, I, I, I don't think that it's right to not continue to, to practice the, the, the practice the fundamentals. Remind yourself of them, and then like continue to to work on them. And if you really want to get d different handguns or work differently, right? Different rounds have a different recoil. And so you just constantly, if you want to just have one that's some self-protection, then work it continuously and make it a routine to say, okay, once a month, I'm going to either go to the range or I'm going to take a class or because if it's that easy, then I should only have to do the class once or not at all. And I should be fine. Right. And then, and then we have that only 1% of people that are continuing their education on firearm use. Uh, and that's not okay. Yeah. So, so when, and, and just so you know, there are different, when it comes to firearms training, there are very different variations of classes. There are traveling trainers, there are local trainers, um, and some of those classes are can be several days. Uh, some of them can be into smaller digestible variations. So like mine, my classes are, I offer four classes and they're all in four hour segments, but each one is a progression off of the other. So you're not just going to take one and learn everything you need to know outside of like just 
basic skills and handling right. If you want to progress as a shooter, you're going to be forced to go down that rabbit hole. Um, and you know, if people want to progress that way, they're, they're, they're going to have to keep pursuing education because there's, you know, there's more than one way to skill the cat. Like I'm just because I'm an instructor, I am by no means finished learning. There is a lot that I don't know. And there's a lot of stuff, classes that I still want to attend myself as an instructor to make sure that I'm able to be a better teacher and communicate stuff better to any students that I have. Um, but yeah, you should never stop learning by any means. And I, I guess you could say it could kind, it, it ultimately could come down to somebody's, their needs too, right? Like I only carry this thing for self-defense, uh, or, or I, I need to know how to shoot it, shoot it well. And I, and like you said, mentioned, go to the range once a month. That's a reach for a lot of people. Honestly, most people do not go to the range once a month. And even then most people, when they go to the range, they're not doing any sort of structured training. They're just blowing out ammo and wasting money. So they're not really learning or developing any skills while they're there. That's one downside of that. And one thing that we're trying to, that everybody in the training side of things is trying to push people to do more, you know, make it count. Um, but yeah, so somebody may, there are different accuracy, accuracy standards, uh, something that's acceptable defensive wise may be absolutely fine for, you know, it, for somebody else that, you know, carries a gun for home protection or, uh, you know, for themselves or their family. And, you know, as long as they have shot accountability, um, everything should be okay, but that's not my standard, right? Somebody may be shooting, scoring to hit X amount of time, uh, be able to put X amount of rounds in an eight inch circle. I'm looking to put X amount of rounds at X amount of time in a four by six box, right? So my standards may be way higher. And what I consider for my standards are pretty low. You start looking to some of the other instructors out there. I mean, these guys are like top notch shooters. So I'm not saying I'm doing anything special by any means, but I push harder than the average bear. Um, but the biggest thing about it is accountability, right? If we're going to carry this tool for this particular use, we have to have accountability because it's not just the bad thing that's happening to us that might be that might be subjective that might be subjected to this right because projectiles have a tendency to pass through things what's on the other side of that a nun and an orphan is generally what they say every bullet is attached to a nun and an orphan so you have to be sure on you have to know what your backdrops are pay attention to the situation around you what's going on know what's in front of your target and what's before it that's not just at the range that's in life and that's the biggest thing about this part is we can really get honed in on the shooting but the situational awareness the scenarios and the mindset that goes into this is really the biggest takeaways right we can avoid majority of the situations by just keeping our heads out of our damn phones and paying attention to what's going on around us. So if I wanted to like, if you know, 
if commonly people are going to locations, uh, shooting ranges just to go blow off however much money they're, they're, they're going to do whenever they're shooting. Could I go to a spot and ask for some training that day? Like, and, and like, are there people at these ranges that are capable and willing to share their time and experience whenever I'm needing and a little extra help. I mean, I've shot, let's say, let's say I'm a new guy. Just got my, just got my pistol. My just recently, maybe a couple weeks ago. And I don't really know where to go. Could I go to, go to my local gun range and ask the guys at the very front for some help? Like, will they do that? It depends on the range. Um, some ranges do offer their own in-house uh, training courses. Some don't. Um, there is a possibility that if there's somebody at the range that you have seen that comes across to you as uh, safe and proficient, that you could ask them and they might be willing to help you out. Does that mean that they have a the possibility of good transfer of knowledge or really know what they're talking about? And You know, that's a, you know, that's, that's kind of on your decision at the time or what you can take away from it. But some of them do. Um, generally, they list their classes online, too, on their websites if they do. Um, outside of that, you could easily just get on Google and, like, firearms training, my local area, you know, whatever it is, and stuff will pop up. So there are ways around it. But, yeah, local ranges are, um, I don't want to say all of them have a basic class but most of them probably should have some sort of basic hands-on to kind of get you get your feet wet a little bit i just feel like i would if i saw someone in my in my space and if i'm new then i don't know whether they're good or bad absolutely you know so it is like it, if I have no basis of knowledge, then the, the person next to me could very well just be an absolute idiot. But that looks like what they're doing is kind of cool. Just like in the gym, <laughs> we have guys that are doing the wildest stuff with their squats or their bench. And you're like, I don't know, man. He must really know what he's doing because he's doing some wild shit over there. Or the exact – the guy has no idea what he's doing. I should never ask this guy any questions. He also had three different surgeries, but he's not going to tell me he's had those surgeries. If I'm going to ask him for help, he's going to give me help because he thinks he can give help, right? Yeah. Um, just really relying on people who are professionals and not just the possibility of somebody. Like if somebody's new, if, if you're experienced and you see somebody, like you've done a couple classes and you see someone using some skills, then I, then I would say, okay, maybe I can go and ask the guy down like a couple uh, units down at the, at the range and ask him for some help. But if I'm a brand new dude, I, I think leaning on the, on, on people who are definitely experienced that have been in the industry that understand how to coach and, and in the process of which to coach is extremely important. Absolutely. And, and I like that you use the term coaching because instructing while we use the term, you know, firearms instructor, that's what the certifications fall under certification imply or instructor implies that I'm going to tell you what to do and you do it this way. Coaching is more of working with the individual and what their needs are, which, you know, obviously you know that, but that's what we try to do because when it comes to shooting too, you know, 
everybody's size is different. Everybody's grip strength is different. Everybody's hand size is different. Um, somebody might have some sort of, you know, physical disability or things like that, that you might have to work around. You know, it's like we've been saying this whole time, it's no one size fits all. So yeah, it is. And, and the people in the firearms world can absolutely, it can go one of two ways. They can be very toxic or they can be very opening or uh, very open and grateful and more than happy to help you out. But it's trying to determine which of those people you're associating with, especially if you're somebody that's new and you're trying to get a feel for things and you're just talking to the guy that you just met at the range, because there are plenty of guys out there and you see it all the time. The gun space is the worst sometimes on social media because everybody's a professional instructor on Facebook. And that's, that's the biggest pet peeve that I have. Um, because people start throwing stuff out there that just make absolutely no sense, whatever. But the person on the other end of that might not know any better. Cause like I said, you don't know what you don't know. And so they may run with that. So it's, you know, it's, it's a hit or miss. You just kind of, you got to look either, either the, I would recommend if you have any friends that are already in that space, Go talk to them first, spend some time with them, go to the range with them. If you don't have that, I would look at a certified instructor, whether that's with a range or somebody third party or something of that matter, um, and go talk to them. And generally, most of us, uh, any other instructors that I've talked to or were, you know, interviewed, they'll talk to you on the phone. Give them a call email them like we're more than happy to talk to you um a lot of the times we're guilty of giving away more free information than we should just because we have the we have the drive to help people be better and not just try to you know get a cash out out of somebody the culture and the it just seems like such a hard thing to enter because you know you said it can go one way or the other they're they're very open and inviting or very toxic Instagram is it seems like the most toxic place it, it just it seems like it, like a community that I've always wanted to be interested in 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 getting in more involved but it seems like there's such a barrier to entry like there is definitely a perception of if you're either like either you're for or against guns and that's it like you're either on one side or the other and then like it, the the community around those who do carry has a certain stigma associated with it and it's like where do i really go like do i even fit in with this community here like i'm not super into guns and so like either i have to be 100 percent in and like i know about the 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 kimber 45 and how it recoils and this tool and this like little add-on and the red dot over here but if you get this brand and it's better than that brand because whatever the fuck. And I'm like, dude, I don't fucking know. Like, get, like, come on, like a gun's a gun to an extent, right? Like I just, if I'm really just going to use this thing as a, as a, as a defense tool or just even like, just, yeah, as, as a, as a defense tool, then like what, 
which brand do you get? Like, there's like people are so hard on like, oh no, dude, you you have to go with Glock. Like, Glocks are the best, or the most reliable. And then you hear somebody else, you scroll one person down, or you talk to somebody else, and like, no, 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 you gotta get a, you gotta get your you gotta get yourself a Kimber. Don't go with any other any other brands. All the other ones suck. And it's like I don't know what the fuck to buy or where to start or how much to spend. So I'm fucking out, dude. And and unfortunately, that's the way a lot of people feel when they first decide like, Hey, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to go look around because I want to get a handgun for self-defense or a shotgun or a rifle for home defense or something of that matter. It can be very overwhelming. And the bad part is, is it's just like everything else, right? There are people that have brand loyalty. What they use is the best stuff ever in Anything else is shit, and that couldn't be further from the truth. And unfortunate, you know, at at the end of the day, pick something that you know is reliable. It's within your budget. Something that you can afford to buy ammo for so you can go train and shoot the shit out of it, man, regardless of what brand it is or what anybody says or anything like that. Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to matter because... There can be a guy, and I'm going to hurt some feelings too, because because uh, Kimber is, in my opinion, very overpriced for what it is. And uh, I'm sorry about my two year old here. Oh, um, um, but somebody that spends money on training instead of just going and buy the newest, best, and greatest thing is going to be in a but much better situation for you know, whether defensive use or whatever, because that person is going to actually know how to shoot instead of expecting the equipment to make them a better shooter. Now, if you're, you get to the point to where to some degree, does the equipment make me a better shooter? It it depends. It, It very much depends. So if you're at to a point to where the, I can give you a great example. So I used to be a big Glock guy, right? I used I shot Glock all the time because they ran and they were easy to customize. Aftermarket parts were out the wazoo. And as you can tell, I geek out on some of this stuff. But the way that the triggers are on the Glock, even with aftermarket triggers, and I mean, I could really dive into rabbit hole if I wanted to on triggers and stuff, but I didn't want to keep going that way. It was restricting me on how fast I could actually run the gun. And so I switched to a different platform that out the box was exactly what I was using for. And with that, my performance increased. So there are limits, but I would say you need to be able to identify what those limitations are before you start looking for the performance factor on the mechanical side to increase your performance, if that makes sense. It does, but it still, it tells me like, I need to go buy, like, I don't need to, right? But if I wanted to go buy a Glock and then I'm like, well, I, I don't know. It just feels weird, right? Like, like, I don't know. I don't even know why I perform, like my performance is, I don't know. I go to the thing and I can shoot it all the way down the, the entire, you know, way. I can hit the, the, the box for the most part. So I think that's, that's pretty good, right? And then you put another gun in my hand and I'm like, 
Yeah, it still went from point A to point B. I mean, that's pretty cool. Um, the trigger feels a little different, right? Uh, maybe a little heavier, a little bit lighter, feels a little more comfortable in my hand. I think like those sides, like those those definitely like those kinesthetic things that we, we can feel, I can feel more recoil or less recoil. I can feel a better grip or a worse grip. I can feel what a smaller or a more, com a more compact uh, tool may be. But... It, it, like I don't like unless you unless I'm unless I'm you or unless I'm somebody who's spending that amount of time and like I'm that dedicated to understanding all the nitty gritty of the parts, the manufacturing, the 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 why behind all these things, then I'm then I don't know if my performance is going to get better or worse, whether I have a less recoil or a different trigger. Like, I'm just I don't have that level of of detail. If I if I just if I told you hey. We, there are some good lifting shoes for squats. There's four brands. There's a little bit different heights, but they're pretty much generally all the same. You can go ahead and get a pair of shoes and you can use them immediately and you can feel the difference and you can tell whether you, I don't really like squatting these. I do really like squatting these. Cool, done. But it's like, if I took a shoe and then was like, all right, well, these laces will actually make you jump faster, or jump <laughs> higher, run faster. But then if you change the sole, then you can actually have a little bit more bounce at the bottom. And then now you can squat an extra two pounds. And I'm like, fuck your two pounds. I don't fucking care. You know, like, <laughs> does it really matter that much? Um, yeah, I, I, like, I don't know. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. And so, like you talked about referencing the four different types of shoes for squatting, I generally reference four, like if anybody asks me, hey, I had a friend call me today. Hey, man, I'm looking at getting this handgun today. What do you think about it? And he gave me the two options. I asked him, what are your choices? I don't even tell him brand or anything. What are your choices? And he tells me, okay, this is what I recommend on this one. This is what I don't recommend on this one. Outside of that, you pick what fits you best because my hands are different than your hands. My trigger reach, which for just for reference for trigger reach is actually being able to reach this, right? So some people can't reach it without, you know, struggling to t reach the frame. We want to be able to reach it, you know, and still have space in between here because that means that the distance from here to here is right for our grip. So, I mean, those are little things that most people can say. If anyone was to ever call me and say, hey, I'm looking for a handgun, what are the things I should look for? I would go over that with them. But yeah, I if, if people are worried about brand, I will tell them, hey, four or five brands, look at these, they're about the same. You cannot go wrong. They're going to work every single time. Functionality is about the same every time. You can't go wrong. Outside of that, they need to start training. Only then when you start training is when you're going to start identifying these differences between these on performance-wise. But if you're not training, then it really doesn't matter. That performance really isn't going to matter. Yeah, you may, if you go to the gun store and you pick up several different guns, yeah, this one feels better to me than this one. It has less felt recoil than this one, or I like the trigger better on this one, then go with that one. It doesn't matter which brand or the other. Go which one feels right for you. But at the end of the day, even though that that one feels better than you, you still need to go to learn 
on how to use it correctly because and and like you're talking about felt recoil and recoil management and things like that there are little things that can make a difference but it's to an extent to where people like me are pushing and training to go you know push to go further where we're looking at seconds we're looking at time we're looking at splits in our shots we're looking at our accuracy for anybody in the generalized space of self-defense, they might necessarily not need all that. So for people like us, yeah, it may, we can geek out on it and it makes a big difference. And especially like competition shooters, man, like guys that shoot in the open division, I mean, their stuff is insane on the crap that they run. I'm talking thousands of thousands of dollars dropped on these handguns, stuff that yeah, it'll probably make me a better shooter because of the expense and everything that went in it because it's spent just for that. But that's not what I'm looking for on a practical day-to-day basis. Does that does that help or I don't know if that Yeah, I think that def- that definitely helps. Um and so and so then that is like the actual structure of the or you you call it a platform. But then you have like these people who are married to, oh, dude, you you got to you got to shoot a forty five. Like that's that's my that's what my dad always carried. He's like, I I'd love a forty five. That's what I go with. He has his, his Colt forty five that he loves. And then you have the 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 standard issue for the the department was a nine millimeter. And so like then you had some guys that were like, oh no, dude, the forty fives are just they're too much. You just get you all you need really is a nine. And I'm like, yeah, dog. That sounds cool. Sure, man. Like, <laughs> like, but you have so many different options. Like, how do you? So then now we, we, you choose a, like, where do you start? Do you start looking at a specific caliber or do you start looking at, okay, this, this pistol feels good in my hand? Like, where, do, where do you, which one do you initially kind of gear people towards moving, like, initiating the, 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 the purchase towards? So generally, I always tell people starting off, hey, Find something that feels good in your hands and feels good to you, right? Something that you can hold that doesn't feel like odd or like you're holding a shoe in your hand, right? Outside of caliber, I, you know, I, I laugh when you said the 45 thing, because I was, when I first got into handguns, I was very much in that crowd. I carry 45 because they don't make 46, you know, kind of thing. And that is the dumbest mindset that you can have these days because there have been so many advancements in ballistics that there's not that big of a variation between calibers in you know what they do and i always recommend nine millimeter because versus something like smaller 380 which is essentially a nine millimeter short um it's a higher velocity and you get ammo is cheaper and you have a higher capacity. So you can carry more rounds per magazine, and it's more affordable for you to go to the range and shoot. And it's still going to put holes in stuff. Can't go wrong with it. I think the... the it definitely sounds like the, the uh, a good option. And I know that they're, they're usually they, they, it's a higher... Um, uh, you, you can carry more rounds in every, you know, and there are varying sizes that get that, but generally nine millimeters, you can usually carry more in each magazine versus a 45. Um, but like the language of like velocity and like it goes fast and they all, they all go fast. So yeah. like uh, from a, from a general generalist's perspective, it's like, yeah, man, like it, it, it 
the the velocity does not matter. And I think that there are times where people in the community who are very into what they do, they use this language that is not as palatable or not as meaningful. So those who are like trying to get into it, they're like, they start hearing these things and then they're like, man, dude, like it's, it, they're all fast. Like they kind of, this one kind of feels good. A 45 kind of feels good. Um, or a, a nine kind of feels good, but like for those who are trying to initially get into it versus those who are very much in it, and if you're in it, you're like, it seems like you're all the way in it. Like, you know, everything about everything. It, that's what it seems like. Maybe that's those are the people I talk to. Um, it makes it hard to almost enter the space. So, and I, I see where you're going for that. And that, you know, that's just my talking of, you know, going down the rabbit hole of stuff. But ultimately, my goal is to tell everybody the main things you want to look for is shootability and affordability. Outside of that, if you can afford to shoot a 45, man. By all means, man, go buy a 45. But I push nine millimeter because it, like I said, it's capacity, affordable, and they're easy to shoot. So outside of that, that. if somebody, if a woman, if somebody is like, say out, out, if you wanted to go less than a nine millimeter, most people would go less than that because either one of two things, they want a smaller gun and they want a lighter weight gun because the smaller caliber is going to equal to less weight ultimately on the gun. So somebody like a small frame female or somebody like that, they may want to opt for something like a 380. So it may hold, you know, it's the, the ballistics are close to the same. It's still going to be, you know, effective. Um, but it's lighter, smaller, and easy for her to carry. And ultimately at the end of the day, that's what matters, right? You want something that you're going to carry. Because if you're not carrying it, it's not going to do you any good at the time that you need it. Rather need it and not have it than have it and not need it, right? It sounds like it, like the going going for for comfort is definitely the ideal, right? It's like whatever whatever you're going to carry with you and making sure that you're comfortable with it, and com- and ultimately that's going to relate to some sort of confidence with understanding that you have this thing and you have some sort of responsibility. You're more likely to go practice. You're more likely to, to, to buy more ammo, you I mean, all these, all these good things. And so like making sure that it, that it is comfortable and then leaning on the thing that's going to be the, like you said, uh, and affordable, right? Comfortable and affordable. And I think that those are very, very fitting things uh, for people who are trying to start, getting themselves educated in the field and get started with practicing protecting themselves. And, and there is a, there's a large number of people who have purchased quite a few hand or just weapons and tools in the last, you know, couple several years now um, and good for them. But you know, it's, it's, an, it's important that they understand what they have, how to use it and then how to maintain uh, their skills. And so I think it's, it's super valuable what you're, what you're doing. That and how to store it. You know, I mean, you hear it all the time. Somebody's kids got a hold of somebody's gun that they left out or they didn't have it secured or it got stolen from their vehicle because they just left it in the center console. You know, I mean, it's things like that, that we kind of talk about too. We, we briefly touch on in the classes, you know, making sure people have, you know, they're like, well, I don't want to keep it in this. They may say, well, I don't want to keep it in a safe because I can't get to it quick enough, man. They make rapid access safe. 
You know, I, I have a biometric one that I put my finger on it. It flips right open and I can get to it quick. Right. So there are a lot of options out there. It's just people need to be made aware of it and they need to understand the responsibility that we have as gun owners that, you know, we're, it's our responsibility for all this stuff. We're, we're responsible for all of it, the the good and the bad. And unfortunately, a lot of the times more bad comes back onto us than it does the good, right? Good news always travels better than bad or bad news travels better than good news. It, it, that is an unfortunate reality. I think, uh, and can, can you see where those people come from whenever they are like, they're, they're upset with the, either the gun, but they're, you know, they blame the gun community. I, I, I personally can, can see both sides of the story, right? Like, yes, it, it's, it's good to have self protect, like to be able to protect yourself uh, and protect others. Like I think it was a little, I don't know, maybe I was still living in call station. Uh, there was a, a gentleman who walked into a church and there was somebody, uh, just a good Samaritan who had, who had their, um, their handgun on him and ended up putting somebody down who went into the church shooting. Right. So like there's, there's good that can come out of it. But then I also see, understand, you know, there's, there's a lot of people out there that don't give it the respect that it, that it deserves. And they're just like, Oh bro, I'm just going to go fucking get myself a pistol and keep it in the house. And they take pictures with it, videos with it. And then, and then forget that they maybe had loaded it. And then their kid comes by and ends up either shooting themselves or shooting somebody else. Um, and so people want to avoid that. Um, people who are walking into a location with with a gun um, that maybe doesn't have the best um, mindset, right? Or that, that isn't necessarily healthy. Man, people are just fucking dumb at times, you know? Like people just don't, are, are just not the most intelligent all the time. And so there's a lot of trust that you're putting into a very large body of, of people to take to, to like, yes, you guys have access to this. I see both ends. Can you can you kind of see the opposite end of the spectrum of like why it's it's such a bad rap? I very much always try to put myself in the other shoes, um, and it's I, I try to look at other variations of things that what what could be done in different manners other than people just being armed, and. I constantly come up with stuff all the time and the biggest, so there have been several church shootings like you've talked about that have happened. Um, and you know, we've had school shootings and things like that, but man, the biggest thing I can get into is, is kind of the school shooting thing. There's, you know, that's on our side of, on, on gun people's side of the argument, I, I the one thing you always hear is what is, so you have a mass shooter. What always stops a mass shooter? Good guy with a gun. Or the mass shooter shot themselves, right? Um, there was no in-between there. So if you're looking at straight face-to-face contact, the only thing that st- can stop a bad person with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Moving forward from that is prevention, right? What do we do to prevent these things from happening? And that's more of what I try to look towards because you start looking at a lot of these things with 
the schools, it's people, it's not students that are actively there at school. It's pre prior students, people that have been there or gone or they're older or they came there and they're coming from the outside in and they can gain entry unrestricted. Why are we allow why are we not making it more difficult for these people to get into schools? I mean, we arm banks, you know, we we put armed guards at banks. We protect banks better than we protect schools. Um and and I'm not saying that we need armed guards at every school. I mean, God, I hate to say that because when I went to school, we never had to worry about any of that crap. You know, I mean, I grew up in, you know, as in a in a farming community. So we all we all had guns in our trucks. We didn't have to worry about the guy next to us going and shooting up the school because he was going hunting with us on the weekend, you know. But unfortunately, times have changed and we have to adjust with that. So the the thing that I look for is people, I, they use the term hardening schools and a lot of people don't like that because they're like, oh, I don't want my kids to feel like they're, they're going to be in a prison. And I kind of hate that argument because do your kids really feel like that or do you feel like that? You know, like, do you want your kids, do you, do you want you to feel like your kids are safe or do you want them to actually be safe? That's the kind of the way I try to look at it. And I'm not necessarily on the advocate for, you know, like I'm sure you've heard it. They're like, we need to arm teachers and all this crap. I don't think teachers should be forced to be armed. But I think that there are people that if there are teachers that say, hey, you know what? I want to take on the responsibility. I want to be responsible for these kids safety. And I want to go get licensed and I want to go through a set training course, which if they're allowed faculty to member. There should be a set training standard for that. No ifs, ands, buts about it. And they should be allowed to. But if no one wants to, they shouldn't have to. But we should make it more difficult instead of spending all our money, you know, to make, you know, make things all fun and dandy. We ought to start looking at safety you know, build a stronger perimeter. Um, there's a gentleman that, uh, he was out of Alabama. He made a bulletproof corner and it's essentially a whiteboard. It folds in. And so it like just sits, looks like a normal corner. And then the teacher can grab it. Like even a small frame woman, she can grab it and pull it out and they can put all the students in there. And I think it's like $50,000. And somebody did it, did the math about what it would take to arm like all the schools in America. And it was like, you know, amounted to about like what we've sent to Ukraine. Um, but something like this is something that they can apply through for grant dollars and things like that. And it's a one-time purchase. Outside of maintenance, it doesn't have to eat. It doesn't have to sleep. It's there all the time. And there's a safety there's a level of safety there for students. And I think something like that is great, but I think we need to look at deterrence more than just stopping it initially with a force on force type thing. Right. Um, and the bad, and this is, this is really getting into the weeds, but the most, one of the most recent shootings, the one, did you hear about uh, in Tennessee at that uh, private school that it happened a while back? I did not. 
So I forgot how, but it was, it was a, um, it was an ex student and they went in and it was like a elementary school or something, small children and law enforcement were there. They knocked it out the park, man. But they had the, the shooter left a manifesto and he, they had two schools targeted and they, literally wrote out exactly what I've been talking about here and other people have been talking about is there was another school they were going to go shoot up, but they chose not to do that because of higher, more strict security. Just that alone deterred that student or that shooter from going and finding a softer target. So the harder we can make our targets, the more we can deter this stuff. And so, I mean, they laid it out right there, but like everybody's ignoring it like that was not even said. And I don't know why. It. At what point do you just get rid of the the gun? You know, like it, it, it's been an increasing rate of school shootings, and I think that's part of the the other side of it. It's like we're 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 gonna do all of this stuff just to avoid the gun. Why not just get rid of the gun, right? I think that. I mean, I when I was growing up, I, we we had an armed guard at the at the school. Um, we had several cops, all of them armed, always around the school. Um, it didn't make me feel any better or worse. It just kind of was, it just existed the way it was. Um, we still had people get shanked. We still had people, you know, like it was still um, maybe not necessarily the safest place in the world, uh, but it could have definitely deterred um, other individuals from actually bringing, bringing weapons. Um, but at the same time, it gave this, our, our our group of kids one year had a riot and not our group, but a couple of years older than me had a riot and lit things on fire and did the whole thing. And then this guy on the football team tackled a, one of the cops and they didn't realize that his, his holster had a specific way of, of working, but he had several guys going up there trying to take his gun out of his thing. So then it's like, well, then should we have guns around if, the, if that's going to be an opportunity and maybe some, some schools that are, that are not as um, that, that have this type of environment, is that going to be the safest thing to have people around? Or do you have, do you invest in, in having these corners? But then at, at, like, then if we need to do corners, maybe we just get rid of the gun, right? It is the thought. Um, it, it seems that there has been an increasing number of school shootings, and it, it's just I don't really understand why, but it's an it's a continuous problem. So, and and I'm <laughs> and I'm glad you brought this up from you know from that perspective too, because I on my podcast I don't get to have that conversation as much, right? Because you know it's people that listen to me are generally you know gun people. But clearly I am not going to advocate for things need to be taken away, right? We are, your right to self-defense is not a right granted to you by the government, is a right granted to you by your creator. That is how it was 
meant to be, but the founding fathers wrote it into the Constitution so that the government cannot overpower us because time and time again, you it, history has always shown us that any time that the uh, populace has been disarmed, that the government, government generally resorts to tyranny, or they ha- can, right? Um, but when it comes to... When it comes to being the solution, right, the, the, the best way that I can put this is what before, before we had guns, we had knives, big swords. Before we had swords, we had big clubs. Before we had big clubs, we had our fists, right? We still managed to kill and maim people. People choose to do what they're going to do with whatever tools are available, Fortunately, here in, you know, in in America with, you know, the Second Amendment and everything else, gun is the most effective thing to do it. If you start looking at other countries, yeah, we have more mass shootings because we have more guns per capita than any country in the world, right? Um, and so that's generally going to keep, be the keep case. Going. I'm going to go, I'm going to go get a charger, but you keep okay. going. Yeah. But, um, you start looking at places like Europe and things like that, their stabbings are through the roof. They, they have mass stabbings there. You're talking about, you know, if we were to get rid of firearms in the UK, they're looking to get, you know, make knives with round points report, remove points off of knives to reduce the amount of stabbing. So it's not necessarily just the tool that's going, it's, not the item it used that's going to fix the issue. It's the person, the the mental situation that they're in, and also ultimately our our culture, right? Like we our culture in America has drastically shifted from what America used to be. And I mean to give you an example of people using whatever tools available, it's been a couple years ago there was some guy who went on a killing spree with a bow and arrow in Norway, in a subway, with a bow and arrow. So if you somebody tries to tell me that, hey, taking all the guns away is going to fix all the problems, that is not going to fix the problem from the people that want to do harm to other people. All that's going to do is prevent good people from stopping the people that want to do bad things. That's all that's going to do. Um, so it's ultimately, it's a... a a game of prevention and, you know, I want to say prevention, but um, maybe intimidation isn't the right word, but, you know, building up to where it's like, it's going to be too difficult for, if somebody wants to cause, you know, do a mass killing or something like that, they need to be presented with the situation that this is going to be too difficult for me and too costly for me to carry out what I want to do, because at the end of the day, I'm not going to be able to complete what I want to do. And ultimately that's what stops them. Because if you look at all the mass shootings that have ever happened, they all happen in gun-free zones. That sign on there that says gun-free zone isn't going to stop. Do you think the person that wants to commit mass murder is going to look at that sign and go, ah, shit, guess I got to go back home now. You know, so that's, that's kind of my take, you know, that's, it's, it comes down to, I, I can set a gun on my counter and leave it here for all day and it's not going to do anything until I pick it up 
can make it do something. It comes down to the people, and we ultimately need to find out what the cultural issue is that's causing this stuff to happen, whether it's a mental health thing. And, uh, you know, I, I think something should absolutely be done about mental health, but it also comes down to the discussion of who gets to choose what's a mental health issue that restricts people, right? Technically, anxiety is a mental health issue, right? So would that restrict somebody just because they have anxiety? You know, it, it it's, it's, it's a fine line to walk on a lot of this stuff. But yeah, I, I don't think it taking an anything fine. away, huh? I said it's an extremely fine line. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, obviously, I don't advocate for anything being taken away because people, bad people, are going to do what bad people do, and the law-abiding people aren't the ones that are doing this stuff, right? It's not people that are going to get licensed. It's not people that are carrying this for self-defense or want it for home defense. Um, now, people having incidents in their homes due to negligence, things like that, yeah, that's absolutely on them. But, you know, law-abiding people that are, you know, going to get their license, a bad guy is not going to go get his license so he can go shoot up a school. I think that, you know, they're, they're, I think the argument can be, well, there's if there's no gun then there's no mass shooting i can only stab so many people so fast right like i can't have a mass shooting i can't have a mass killing with just myself without the use of a tool and 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 a tool that can allow for that is not going to be the knife right and so the mentality i would i would imagine is well if we just got rid of that then we don't have any mass anything right I don't really know how Australia is 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 doing after their mass shooting. I know that they have a very large amount of stabbings, uh, right? I, I think I agree with you. People are going to end up figuring out how to hurt each other because that's going to happen. At the same time, I don't know how much value it would be to say, okay, guys, no more guns because – I mean, does it make sense? Yeah. If I don't have a tool that can execute a mass shooting, then there more like most likely will be less mass killings, right? Um, yeah. But at the same time, if there's already all of these guns outside of the the manufacturer's hands, I'm going to go to every single house and try to go take away guns. That just doesn't seem. It, it it's not going to go over well for I think wh- whatever individual wants to execute that that act. Um, and even if you did, how many people are still going to hide stuff? How many people are going to bury it and pretend they don't have it? How many people are going to still find their way to do it on the black market? I don't know that at this point, if you went to Texas and tried to take guns away it's gonna it's not gonna go over well right so then how can we have some sort of synergistic um opportunity between both like polarized thoughts right it's like well we need more education we need um you know a certain regulation on on how to uh, to obtain uh, a, a certain degree of tools um, and then a mandatory like education process and maintenance and like, like a, like a stamp, right? Like every single month or whatever it is, I go get my stamp 
and like, yep, I showed up this month. I can still maintain and carry this this weapon. And if I cannot, or if I'm not practicing whatever it may be, then maybe that's uh, nobody really knows what the 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 solution is. If, if obviously we did, we, we wouldn't be having uh, such a polarized topic, right? I think that it's already too far gone to say. E- outside of the the opportunity for tyranny to say no more guns i i think that it, you you have such a polarized um environment and community that's going to hold on to that gun that it's not going to bode over well so let's assume, like let's let i think moving forward and be able to make progress and say okay like that's okay everyone has their guns now what can we do to Make sure that they're being used appropriately around schools and around the, around the home. Um, mistakes are going to happen. It's never going to be perfect. Whether it's guns or it's knives, I could. I, there's kids that are out there probably accidentally, maybe not accidentally, but stabbing each other because they don't really understand, right? They're, they're, they drop the knife and it's it stabs somebody. You know, like it's gonna yeah. fucking happen no matter where you're at. Mm-hmm. So how can we make it so that it's it 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 gets out of the the school system right or gets and and you're gonna have shootings you're gonna have stabbings it's, it's no matter what it's gonna happen it, it's it's bound to happen so just educating those who do have the tool i think is the is the biggest part yeah and you know like like you're it and we can easily get into you know oh, both sides of the aisle talking about you know i, I don't believe that they should they should uh you know disarm people but it comes to the when you start looking at the fact of it that like you said there's so many in circulation that even if they were to do that they would never get everything so and you know like if they went to even if they went door to door you know of course that would rouse up a whole different situation right um that would not go over well with a lot of people in the community but well. even if they don't get everything who are the people that are going to be who are going to be like, okay, I'll agree to this. The people that are law abiding citizen, who are the people that are generally not going to agree with that? The non law abiding citizen. So who has control over everything and who's going to be susceptible for everything? So that's kind of where I go in the direction of that. So it's, it's, it's definitely one of those topics or situations of a damned if you do and a damned if you don't. Because even Australia, when they did their confiscation, I mean, I forgot what it was of what they actually had turned in, but it was like, it was minuscule compared to what they actually had data on, on what people had. Right. So, and these were people that were, you know, living way out in the bush in BFE and, you know, they, they, their survival depended on this tool, right? And so a lot of them, they're like, why would I give that up, right? I need this thing. So it's, yeah, it's it, where it goes, man. I, I really don't, I don't know. I, it r- Really, if, if you could magically make all the weapons in the world just disappear and we all live in peace and happiness and I could go take my son to school and not worry about anything ill happening from him other than the kid to kiss fist fight or something like that, man, I would be all for it. But unfortunately we don't live in that world and I want good people to have the same ability as the bad people in the world. Right. That doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to stop it every time and all the time, but it is our best chance to do so. 
I think where the issue lies is constantly trying to make like such a drastic change rather than accepting what is is in front of us and then learning how to adapt moving forward because then ultimately it stagnates a community it stagnates a people and we could very well have a lot more money going put towards um how to um regulate the distribution of firearms we could have more schools that are that are located around the country educating people on how to use these things if there wasn't such the the polar opposites of let's just get rid of all of them and it's like well that's not really a reality like you you can you really think you're going to take everyone's shit away but yeah th- like for whatever reason it seems that that question is like, well, we'll figure it out. And it's like, no, no, no. Like, think about it logically for a moment. Does that make sense to you? Do you think you're going to pick up every single gun? No, right? Do you think it's going to be still be bought on, bought on the black market? Most likely. And the worst people you want are the people who are going to be buying it on the black market because those people are going to use it for a specific reason, right? Like, they're, they're out there making that decision, getting connected with the wrong people. Like, let's look at what we have in front of us. And take a moment to, to, you know, to say that is not logical. So then how can we move forward if we're going to coexist with these tools? I'm with, I, I think that I am, I appreciate this conversation very much because it's not a conversation that I've, that I've ever really had. Um, and like pretty much ever, I don't think I've never really talked about it. I mean, I've been, again, I've been around uh, firearms quite a bit. I've been around a community of people with a lot of firearms but not really a conversation with somebody who is uh, as open about the conversation, right? Because I feel like it, the the stereotype is it's somebody who's just the rootin' tootin' gun, and we need we need the guns, and it's like this such an angry approach to the situation that it turns people the opposite way, and it's like, well, that's not really the reality of the entire community. It's just what really is a nice buzz, right? That's what gets people to click and view and get mad and stay with this subject and never make progress. It's like if we really, really want progress, maybe we don't go to such extremes. We look at what we have, and then we create a plan to to make sure that we take the steps in place to make this a real coexist, a, a beneficial coexistence. Yeah, I, I agree with you, uh, you know, hundred percent. Cause, and that's, that's one thing I really like. I try to do as often as I can is have that conversation at the middle ground, right? Because that's the one thing that is on both political spectrums. It is not happening. It's one or the other. And then the ones that I see on the, you know, people that are, you know, that have high notoriety that are trying to do these things, one person on the other side is dropping out of it, you know, because they don't want to have to debate this person that's actually knowledgeable on this matter or that matter or the other. And that's so frustrating to me because I want to see this happening because I want people to come together as we were as Americans. I don't want it to have to be some crazy tragedy like another 9-11 to finally bring us together on a lot of stuff, right? That's not how this should be. But we're, we're, so, we're so separate on so many things, and especially this topic, um, that 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 middle ground conversation isn't happening and, you know, taking it away, isn't going to work. Um, everybody completely keeping it, isn't going to work, but like some of the laws that they're talking about and things that they proposed before, 
I would be for it under certain circumstances. Um, so one thing that they proposed a lot, I'm, I don't know if you've heard of it before, are red flag laws, right? Is that if you think your neighbor or somebody is, has, they have guns and they have mental health issues or you think there's something wrong, you can go report it to the police. They can take it to a judge and they can come to their house with a warrant, remove all their firearms and everything, right? But the problem with that is you don't get to have due process until after they come and confiscate everything, right? So you're losing your Second Amendment right. And then you're not guaranteed to get everything back. And then you're put on a list. And then there's no repercussions for the person that reported you. So how many times have we seen vindictive family, exes, spouses, things like that cause problems with somebody? Some chick could have her boyfriend break up with her and she gets pissed off and says, yeah, he's got a bunch of guns and he's crazy. I think he might go shoot a place up and now he's just lost his right and there's no repercussions on her. So I have made it very clear before that I am okay with red flag, red flag logs, red flag laws under the, under the circumstance of that there is a minimum sentence for false claims. Because I think there should be a minimum sentence for making a claim that removes that removes somebody's constitutional rights. So if you approach it in that manner, we can make progress. We could do things that don't just tailor to one side of the aisle or the other, right? We could make progress if we really wanted to. But it does frustrate me when I see all these politicians are saying, well, we need to do this or we need to do that or we just need to get rid of all the guns. And there's never any, you either hear, we don't need to get rid of the guns or we need to get rid of all of the guns and there's no conversation in between and nothing ever happens. And I hate to say that politician, that people want to see people die, right? But as, you know, I don't know how political any of your viewers are, but as Hillary Clinton said, never let a good tragedy go to waste because as soon as something like this happens, they are, they are chomping at the bit to make a political agenda out of it. And it infuriates me. It infuriates me so much that these people that have experienced this loss that want some accountability, that want something done to make their, their places safer Nothing's actually being done to it. It's all turned into a political stunt and nothing's actually done in the long run anyways. And so with that is where I always say until we find a middle ground, people have the right to arm themselves. They have the right to have the best ability to be able to protect themselves and the best tool available to do it. Until we start finding a middle ground, it's it's kind of hard because if there's, I mean, if you think about it this way, kind of too, it's like, you know, some people would say if there's, if there's a fist fight, I want a knife. If I want a knife, I want a gun. I want to have the best tools available to give me the best outcome to be able to survive. That may not be the best analogy for this conversation that may kind of come across as something different. I don't mean it that way, but you know, we, we need to be able to have the best tool available until something can actually be done that's going to prevent this crazy stuff happening. I agree, man. Well, I definitely appreciate your time. And I think this, this conversation was super valuable and it, it definitely a really cool insight into um, 
a little bit more detail of really what the community is and, and how to hopefully move forward. Um, you just got to keep on having the conversation and hopefully one day we'll have some, some more reasonable people that um, understand how to have a conversation and sit down and put, put things into action and understand that things are going to change and things are allowed to change, right? But we need to be able to adapt as things continue to, as our world continues to adapt, right? Like it, it, there are, our rules and our laws can change. They're adaptable. They are supposed to be massaged and they're supposed to be worked. And they're not just so stagnant. They have some, not necessarily wiggle room, but they have the room to to be adaptable to our current situation. So I, I definitely very much appreciate your time. Well, good. I'm I'm glad you I'm glad you took something away from this, and thank you so much for letting me join you. Yeah, man. I'm gonna end the recording. I'm gonna keep you on, all right? Okay. Oh, and also a couple, couple things. Um, where do people find you? Um, plug, promote your podcast, your all the things, you know, social media, whatever it is that you whatever it is that you use, and how people get in contact with you. Uh, so people can find me on my podcast is Concealed Carry Texas. It's on Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and a couple other niche ones. I can't remember which they are. Uh, I have two separate Instagram pages. One is Concealed Carry Texas Podcast. And the other Instagram page is Citizen Defense, which is my company page. Um, and then my training website is citizendefense.net. And that's for local training in the College Station area. So if anybody listening is from here uh, and you're looking for some training, feel free to hit me up. I have all my information on there and I'm available all the time. Beautiful. Go get educated, guys. I appreciate the time. Thank you for listening to the Ben Navarro's podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. 